This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zarrow. Welcome to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics for today's show about making dreams become reality, including the much maligned but not impossible goal of having it all. How can we embrace our ambition, maximize our time, and define what success means to each of us without burning out? We're going to talk about all of this and more with a woman who really does do it all, just not at the same time. Randy Zuckerberg, our guest today, is a whole lot of person who makes a whole lot happen. Her most recent book, Pick Three, You Can Have It All, Just Not Every Day, tells us how she does it and gives us, all of us, a new tool to help us realize what we can achieve with some strategic flexibility um, and some genuine creativity. Many of you know of Randy from Dot Complicated, her show here on business radio that airs on Wednesdays from noon to 1 p.m. Eastern time. She's also a New York Times bestselling author, the founder and CEO of Zuckerberg Media. She served as a mentor on Oxygen's show, Quit Your Day Job, and was an executive producer of the TV show Dot based on her recent children's book. She was the brainchild behind Facebook Live, has performed on Broadway in Rock of Ages, is a Tony voter, and was recently appointed as a young global leader for the World Economic Forum and is part of the Teach Committee for our beloved American Theater Wing. In 2017, she launched Sue's Tech Kitchen, which is a STEM-inspired interactive experience that includes, get this, 3D printed food. And today, this amazing, busy, accomplished woman is our guest. So with that, let me say, Randy, welcome to Women at Work. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. First of all, you are hired as my new PR representative. That was a great bio. I also am grinning from ear to ear because you started off, you you said it, I'm like a whole lot of person and I, I think I clock in at five foot one. So I don't think I've ever been described that way only on the radio. So now that that's making me very happy. So thanks I'm so for having me. Because Randy, it's like that list of all you've accomplished and all you've done, it's like, it seems as if they're all different dimensions of who you are. Well, I th- what I think is so exciting is that the world around us is always changing. Any time that I've ever had, you know, a five-year plan of what I wanted to do, it's been almost immediately disrupted by, you know, new tech innovations coming out, new ways of doing things. And so, you know, I think it's great to go into the world with your eyes open and, and to be curious and be ready to take advantage of things. Well, that actually leads me to one of the first questions I want to ask you. You know, as I was reading Pick 3 and reading about you, I kept marveling at all these creative projects you've brought to life. And while I think at first glance you could think you do a thousand different things, there's a certain kind of discipline that's got to be behind it. Just like there is in the book, the way that you're talking about what do we focus on at any given point. How do you pick the creative projects that get your attention? Well, gosh, I think, I mean, you definitely hit the nail on the head. There's so much pressure on all of us to have it all. I think especially, you know, we we go online and it immediately looks like everyone else is, you know, a perfect parent and has their career figured out and is nailing it. And then, you know, behind the scenes, all of us were just barely holding it together. (laughs) I I think for me... um, there was I had this real aha moment. Uh, luckily, it was it was pretty early in life. I was uh, touring colleges, and uh, I I really wanted to tour Harvard University. Nobody in my life thought I stood a shot at getting in there. And uh, the woman who was running the admissions session that day, she said, "You know, we look for two kinds of students: well balanced and well lopsided." And I thought, "Oh my gosh, that's me! I'm I'm the well lopsided." I love person. that term, <laughs> well lopsided. And I think you know we put so much pressure on ourselves to just you know do every single thing well every single day. And from that moment on, I thought, you know what? I am going to give myself permission in my life to be well lopsided. I would rather do (laughs) a few things at a time and do them really, really well than, you know, try to be perfect in every area and fail miserably at everything. So when you were 16, 17 going on these college tours, like my daughter is now with me, in what ways were you lopsided? Well, for me, I mean, music was my life. Um, I even, 
from age three or four, if you had asked me what I wanted to do with my life, I would have said that I wanted to sing on Broadway or perform in some capacity. And uh, so much to my parents' chagrin, who were both doctors, I basically, you know, uh, started dropping subjects in school and, and doing independent studies in opera and music and, and all of these things. And they were like, you're never going to get into a school like Harvard. You know, when when we look at your course load and all you're taking is acting and opera and, you know, where where's science? Where are these basic <laughs> subjects? Um, but actually, I, I think that wound up being my competitive advantage. The fact that I, I was so lopsided and so focused, um, you know, I, there's a, a big focus today on people who are thinking about things differently, mm-hmm. creatively, you Absolutely. know, people who are unique and bringing a new perspective. And I think I, I sort of I, I accidentally figured that out. Well, also part of what it sounds like you were doing, which is probably why Harvard welcomed the authentically well lopsided, was that this was driven by sincere interest on your part. You were passionate about this, weren't you? Absolutely. And I, uh, in fact, in high school, um, I grew up right outside New York City. And uh, I loved opera so much. Um, I petitioned the school to let me do an independent study where I would go into the city, watch the operas, the dress rehearsals that were going on at the Met, and then write up term papers and reports on kind of how those operas had changed over time. And uh, they were like, really? Like this, you, you're 16 years old and you want to do this. Um, But I, you know, now I think I spent a lot of my career talking to entrepreneurs, mentoring them. And, you know, you see that same passion in a Mm -hmm. lot of entrepreneurs with what they're doing. I mean, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. Otherwise, there's there's really no reason to start your own thing. Right. Because it's too hard to do it just for sport. That's right. You have to just wake up every morning and think this is the only thing I want to be doing with my life, the only problem I want to be solving. And I'm you also have to, you know, be a little driven by ego, like I'm the best person (laughs) to solve this. Um, But I I think, you know, if you do, if you are lucky enough to have something that you're incredibly passionate and motivated by, you know, it can be a really a beautiful thing in your career. There's something else that you said about um, in particular that independent study that I think is really potent. I mean, aside from the fact that I'm drooling. I would have loved to have done something like that for school. And it's not just because it's a delicious thing to go into New York and see the opera, but that's college level work. And you were doing it as a high school student. And there are a lot of components to it. Um, Well, you kind of found your way to feed your education with this exposure to the arts. What did it teach you that you've brought into your subsequent work? Oh, so much. First of all, I think that um, one of the most beautiful things about the arts is that it teaches you very early on in life how to fail. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> very, very early. I mean, if you can be eight years old, go audition for a show, not get it, and still muster up the self-confidence to go for that next audition, I, I'm pretty sure you can handle anything that life or business ever throws at you, learning how to face rejection that way at a young age. It's so true, because in real life, <laughs> we submit a resume. We don't get a, a callback. We've never faced an individual. But when you're auditioning for a part or showing somebody your art, it's intensely personal. You're really vulnerable. You That's see right. the people who are rejecting you. Exactly. And only one person is going to get cast in that role. And you have no idea if, you know, you know what the criteria is really that they're looking for. And so um, I think for me, I really I've leaned on that every single day as an entrepreneur. The fact that I learned early in my life how to fail, how to get rejected and to still pick myself up and believe in myself and still think that I'm the best person for the next job. Um, I think that's, you know, that's something that has really um, been a huge benefit to me in my career. Tell me a little bit in in that moment, whether it was at that age or now as a grown woman, um, when you get that rejection, how do you process it so that you are not um, deflated, so that you can march on? Do you give yourself a little time to be upset about it? How do you make sense out of it? Absolutely. I mean, we're all human. And I think sometimes, you know, you actually create the best work out of, you know, emotional moments in your life. Um, you, you think of things in a new way. But I what I have kind of learned is that failure is just it's such a core part of, you know, anyone's career, 
especially if you're an entrepreneur, it's really it's the only thing that's definitely going to happen is that you're you're going to fail at some point. So, <laughs> I, you know, I actually think when you hit a, a moment of failure or a moment of rejection, you should celebrate it because that means you're one step closer to actually getting it. You know, you, you if you're going to hear 20 no's or 50 no's, well, you know, that no should be welcome because that means you're one step closer to getting to your yes. That is such a beautiful way to frame it. It sounds like there's another thing that you have as well. You know, when Angela Duckworth writes about grit, she talks not just about our resiliency, but it's resiliency driven by passion and a real drive to be excellent at something. Tell me how that emerged for you with your vocal training and developing as a performer first, because it's clear it's in everything you've done since. Mm. Well, I'm not sure I ever achieved huge excellence in that area. <laughs> I, I, you know, I loved it, but um, I did. I, so after all of that, after getting into Harvard, you know, with that passion for music, I was promptly rejected from the music major. You should know. And Ouch. Uh, yes, yeah. that was uh, so. That was my first entrepreneurial pivot at age 18. I had to kind of uh, scrap all the plans I had for myself and find a, a new love. Um, and uh, actually, I think that was the biggest gift I ever received. It seemed like a huge slap in the face at the time, um, but because of that, I was really able to discover other interests that I had and realize that you know, we, none of us only have one calling Mm -hmm. in this world, right? If you're a passionate, creative person, you can fall in love with a lot of different things. You can be motivated by a lot of different problems and and issues. And um, that, you know, that really led me into technology and and the whole career that I've had in tech since then. So um, I maybe, maybe not (laughs) being excellent, as excellent as I wanted to be was actually uh, the biggest blessing. (laughs) It's it's a great way to look at it. By the way, you're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. And my guest this hour is really the amazing Randy Zuckerberg, host of Dot Complicated here on Business Radio and the author of Pick Three, You Can Have It All not just every day. So it sounds to me like with your first entrepreneurial pivot, Randy, you learned um, how to make choices about what was in front of you and um, how to accept what life was throwing your way. Absolutely. And I also what I also learned from that was that you can take the kernels of what you think you love and apply them almost anywhere. So for me, the things I loved, which were, you know, being on stage, finding new ways of telling stories, you know, communicating and and having a real emotional connection with an audience or other people. Those are all things that I still do in Mm -hmm. every project that I'm in and every company that I work with. You know, I travel the world now. I probably give about 50 to 100 um, lectures and keynotes every year. I look at that as if it's my own one woman show, you know, which it really is. it, It is. And so there, you know. Just because someone blocks a doorway for you or rejects you, there are so many other ways of taking what you love about that and applying it in other places. Absolutely. Not to mention that all that poise and composure that you learned through your musical training pays off every day as you do this. Absolutely. I mean, here I am now, like you, hosting my own radio show. I mean, that's that's not something that I ever thought I would be doing when I tell was me younger, about it. Who but, plans for that? Yeah, but it's but it's amazing, and it's you know, there are so many uh, people that I talk to now who say that you know they're in their thirties, their forties, they wish that they had ever taken a course on public speaking mm-hmm. or done anything like that. Um, I think that's one of the biggest uh, areas that most entrepreneurs are lacking in because no matter what your business is, you're going to have to sell someone on something at some point. You're going to have to sell someone on working for you, on investing in you, on Mm -hmm. partnering with you. And uh, I really rely on those skills that I learned in drama and theater and, and presentation on a daily basis. Not to mention now just hearing only your voice that alone is beautiful, never mind the way that you're deploying it in all these business applications that make a big difference, not just for you, but for the, your audience and the people you work with. Because you're not only advancing your own projects, you're investing in a lot of other people. Tell me about Absolutely. some of that. 
I think for me, um, the experience of working in Silicon Valley, working at Facebook, it was an incredible experience. But the one thing that was not incredible about Silicon Valley for me was constantly being the only woman in the room. I know that's something you, you talk about on, on your show <laughs> yes. a lot. And uh, so for me, I, I worked at Facebook. I, I was in Silicon Valley for almost 10 years. And when I left, I thought, okay, this next chapter of my career, I have to dedicate myself to getting more women in those rooms because that was, you know, it was incredibly lonely. Uh, I was almost bewildered, really, that, you know, we're in the 2000s and, and I was still the only woman in the room that we had made such a little progress. So, um, for me, I really started to think about how I could do that, and that's taken form in a few ways. I do a lot of investing and mentoring in female-led startups. I'm I'm on the board and investing in quite a few. Uh, but I've also done a lot of work with children, especially with girls around that pivotal 8, 9, 10 years of age, because that's when we really start losing them mm -hmm. in STEM. And if we don't start inspiring girls at a young age – they'll never become the entrepreneurs that I want to invest in. So uh, so for me, I, I feel like in order to really support women and get more women in the room, I have to support women who are doing it now, and I have to support women who don't even know that they're entrepreneurs yet because they're only eight years old. I love that you're starting to, to put them into the pipeline that early because that really is where it begins. And reinforcing what you said about that's when girls are interested in STEM and you want them to get excited and ignited. So that they don't kind of start to fall through those holes in the pipeline that start to happen when they go into adolescence. And it's also a time when their self-esteem is really impacted by these experiences. So it's a double it's a double blessing that you're giving them by nourishing them at those stages, Randy. Well, thank you. It's been I mean, it's been incredibly rewarding. I um I wrote a children's book called Dot that's now a television show in in many countries um, and on Hulu and, and Sprout here in the United States. Um, and that's just been an incredible to watch. I have two young children of my own, and I think they feel like they own Dot and, and worked on <laughs> Dot with me because they've really grown up with her. Um, and now my, my latest project, Sue's Tech Kitchen, which is a touring exhibit where families can come and, and really have a very delightful moment with science and tech, getting 3D printed chocolate and, you know, liquid nitrogen oh my treats. God. I have and, to try this out. It oh, sounds like such a blast. To. It's so fun. You know, we designed everything that I do. I try to put my mindset of a nine-year-old girl. Um, even though I want everything that I do to be enjoyable to everyone, it's really that girl in the third or fourth grade who's starting to think, well, math is for boys and this is for girls. Like, I want to reach her and get her excited about it before we lose her. Um, and so I always try to put on that little cap of, you know, what would nine-year-old Randy want? What would she be <laughs> awe-inspired by? And uh, um, that's just been been so fun to watch families come through. We purposely try to put Sue's Tech Kitchens outside of major cities because uh, I think kids in major cities, they have a lot of access to, to tech and mm -hmm. science and coding. Um, but oftentimes, you know, you only need to drive 20 minutes outside a major city to find communities that are incredibly underrepresented. Yes, it's part of what makes this so important, Randy. So I actually want to dive into what, let's say, 22-year-old Randy was thinking about. <laughs> so as you were making these switches, you know, passionate, driven about around music, and you're at Harvard, and it's now time to switch gears and think about what's going to take you um, into your professional life. How, what got you reoriented towards tech? Mm. It was actually, I call it my my luckiest failure um, because I went to work for an advertising agency, Ogilvy & Mather, and uh, I was part of a, a very prestigious training class that they do there. Um, I loved Ogilvy & Mather also because they were the only company in that space that had a female CEO at the time, uh, Shelley Lazarus, who started as an intern and worked her way up to be the CEO of the company. So that was very inspiring. Um, and uh, so I got there for my first day of this training program, and everyone else in my training program got staffed on glamorous traditional projects that you would think of like magazine ads and TV shoots with celebrities and 
I got staffed on a brand new team they were starting called Interactive and Digital Marketing, and I was pissed off. <laughs> like, you know, I, w- I wish that I could tell you, like, like, Laura, I had the foresight to say, like, this is going to be great for my career. But no, I was 22 years old and I was pissed off because I wanted to be on TV sets with celebrities. And also when this first started, um, it was... Um, ambiguous what it would look like. People didn't understand its power. Um, totally. And it was something that, you know, some of us, I was developing multimedia design programs at the time. And we geeked out around conference tables, but it was really hard to get people to see this was going to change the world. Absolutely. Especially since here we were doing these interactive digital, like planning all these things. And then I would power down my desktop computer and go home because smartphones didn't exist. Right. <laughs> so like, it's it's just, you know, this whole whole crazy new world. But, you know, fast forward two years and all of my other colleagues were still getting cappuccinos on television sets for celebrities. And I was part of, you know, an incredibly fast growing team inside the company that was generating a lot of revenue and a lot of buzz. And uh, that's when I started getting the phone calls from Silicon Valley that were like, hey, we could really use someone who knows about digital and interactive marketing. And uh, it really, it set my career on a, a whole incredible new path. It's just amazing. You're listening to Women at Work, by the way, here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. And my guest this hour is Randy Zuckerberg, host of Doc Complicated here on Business Radio, the author of Pick 3, You Can Have It All, Not Just Every Day. So, Randy, when you're talking about this, it's also bringing back to me um, that this was a kind of fork in the road for you, not just because it turned you on to technology and made you visible to tech companies to know to reach out and recruit you, but you got a big reward from going into uncharted territory. It had to have been a little scary at the time. Oh, it was terrifying. I mean, I... Uh, I grew up in New York. I had lived in New York my whole life. My parents were there. And then all of a sudden, I decided that I was going to quit this incredibly prestigious job that I had, you know, at Ogilvy and Mather. Where it's they a had, big like, deal. It was a huge deal where they had really, you know, invested in me and chosen me for this training program. And I was going to quit my job and go work with my brother at a little startup in California and people told me that I had lost my mind. They were like, you are 24 years old and you have officially thrown away your career. Like, you'll, you'll, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. like, what are you doing? Why are you leaving and, and, and going out to California and, and working on a little startup? I mean, no one was, I think Facebook was at two colleges at that point. And, um, I just I for me I've always been drawn to things that are creative and exciting and startupy and and so for me I just thought well um I really viewed it as as a way actually to to cut out a few years of kind of like middle management of my career because I thought well if I could go and you know help run a startup then maybe when I come back to the ad agency world I could be more senior that was that was well, actually my thinking and, and I think <laughs> it's actually quite um, ahead of your time and inspired um, I was talking with my cousin the other day who just graduated from college she's going into um, film and screenwriting and you know grappling with opportunities that present themselves that some are known, reliable, but arduous and time-consuming. And then mm-hmm. other opportunities have presented themselves that are exciting but unknown. Totally. And I think, especially when you're in your 20s, that is an incredible time to just go for it, with take risks, do Absolutely. things that are unknown. Because, you know, I had no dependents. I was single. I didn't have children. Like, what is the worst thing that could happen to me? The worst thing that could happen is that the company didn't work out and I just went back to New York, maybe with my tail between my legs for a little while, and I just got another great job. And, <laughs> right. um, and like, that's honestly, that was the worst case scenario. Did and you that think didn't seem it, that bad. Did you think it through that clearly at the time? No, definitely not. I'm definitely, you know, putting a lot of, I mean, but now Even I Even though it's very insightful in retrospect and important, especially for young people who are making these choices. But at the time, how do you deal with the fear? Um, gosh, I, you know, I've always been a fan in life of when you are making a decision to just do it quickly. I think um, if you drag a decision out, you'll 
think of a hundred reasons you shouldn't do it. You just give yourself time to to psych yourself out of it. So for me, whenever I have had an inkling of making a change in my life, I've just like tried to do it that same day. I you know, before it. I can psych myself out. Because those actually <laughs> are signs of the early CEO in you. Um, Elena Botello um, from GH Smart wrote this wonderful book called The C- CEO Next Door that's based on a lot of analytics that they've gotten about leaders. And one of the the primary criteria, the sign of a solid leader is decisiveness. So, Randy, you were exhibiting it oh in my your gosh. early 20s. I, you know, I love that. And I have to say, I bought the first wedding dress I tried on. I, You're like, kidding me. Yeah, I bought the first house I looked at. Like, I've always been the kind of person that, like, instead of being like, oh, I have to look at, you know, 200 things and write a pros and cons list, like, the second I feel like something's working for me, I'm, like, done. So, I uh, I guess it has a, has always Always, always been that way a little. <laughs> okay, so I'm totally impressed with that because I can daven over a decision endlessly. Are you happy with the decisions you make that quickly? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, we put a lot of weight on things that maybe like don't even matter that much. It's a really um, good point. I mean, even moving to California, which, you know, did seem like a huge decision at the time. Like now that I think about it, it was really only a plane ticket and some rent. Like if I didn't like it, it would have you it can would always be come home. so easy. Yeah, so easy to go anywhere. So most decisions that we make in life are pretty reversible. Um, you know, of course, now that I'm a mom, that is a decision mm-hmm. that's not a reversible decision. And so that's why I think I really encourage people to take big risks and do things, um, you know, especially if you can early in your life before you, you know, have a lot of other considerations. Oh, Randy, I I, I couldn't applaud you more loudly. (laughs) I'll do it here from the studio. We need to take a short break, but please stay with us. Um, When we get back, we're going to talk more about decision making and in particular, the decisions you can make in your day to day life to help you have everything you want in the big picture. I'm Laura Zarrow. You're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM. If you want to write into us, you have questions as you hear us on the air, know that you can always email Patty and you can reach her at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Once again, I'm Laura Zarrow. This is Women at Work. And we'll be back in just a few minutes with the amazing Randy Zuckerberg, host of Dot Complicated and the author of Pick Three. You can have it all, just not every day. You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio. Here again is Laura Zarrow. Welcome back to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can get more women to join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, and my guest today is Randy Zuckerberg, the technology entrepreneur, mom, radio show host, Broadway performer, investor, mentor, and author of not one, but several books, which includes Pick Three. You can have it all, just not every day. Randy is this force of nature who is constantly developing new technology, content, and live events with um, real passion and missions behind it, particularly putting intelligent, tech-savvy, entrepreneurial women and girls at the center of pop culture and media. Um, This all comes together in one of her newest projects, Sue's Tech Tech Kitchen, but it's evident in all the work that she's done to date. Um, So I couldn't be more thrilled to continue our conversation. So, Randy, welcome back to Women at Work. Thanks, Laura. It's great to be here. It's fun. Uh, I, I host my my own show over in SiriusXM, so it's uh, it's fun and a little nerve wracking to be on the other side of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm particularly delighted that you're willing to turn the tables with me. So thank you for being here. So you know, as I've been learning about you um, and reading the book, which of course makes me think about my own life, it feels like. Um, you found a way to channel your own experiences, might I say, with amazing candor. It was enormously generous of you to share all the stories that you did in it. And share with us how you navigate this unbelievably impactful life, how you make the decisions behind how you spend your time. Could you tell me a little bit of how you first got the idea for the book and what made you decide to write it now? Well, first of all, thank you so much. I really feel like my work is only beginning. Um, there's so much more that we need to do to encourage more girls and, and more women to be in STEM and, and business leadership. And so I, I really appreciate your kind words, and I hope that there's you know a lot more that we're going to do there. I think for me, a lot of um, my philosophy around Pick 3, my most recent book, stemmed almost a decade ago now. Um, I was on kind of my 100th 
tech panel, uh, you know, I'm sure that you can relate to this, where, you know, it's it's me and four dudes and the guys, they go down the line and the guys all get asked like some really deep, serious business question and they get to me and they're like, so Randy, you have a job and you're a mom. How do you do it all? And I was like, are you serious? Like, are you, is that really seriously the one question that you want to ask yeah, me on this panel? Yeah, the biggest thing we <laughs> yeah. could learn from you. <laughs> that's right. That's the biggest thing you can learn from me is like how I do it. Or I can't tell you how many times I travel the world giving keynotes. And like the first thing they'll say is like, who's with your kids right now? And like, oh. I, I almost want to punk them and be like, oh. Oh my God! I forgot. My like, kids? I, what, like Oops. I, what I, I duct tape them to the bed. You know, they'll be okay. Like, like are people are people kidding? Like, are they really kids for real? So, I just got so tired of it, and um, and I thought, you know, gosh, we we live in this world where there's so much pressure, especially on working moms, and um, and you know, I, I started just asking people, you know, do you think you have it all? How do you have it all? And I realized that. Nobody does, but everyone feels guilty. And uh, I came up, I, I put out this tweet that I called the entrepreneur's dilemma that said, work, sleep, family, friends, fitness, pick three. And uh, it, it went viral. Um, and, right. and everyone started telling me, they're like, you know, it's not just for entrepreneurs. Like, we all feel that way. Um you know, some days I, can, I feel like I can barely even pick one of those things, let alone three. But um, for me, starting to reframe uh, giving myself permission to do a few things every day but do them well, it, it just it completely redefined my life, how I think of success, how I think of happiness. And uh, it's really been exciting for me to turn that into a book and, and be speaking about it all over the world. Starting when I was about, I guess, 15 or 16, and my mom went back to work. Um, she'd been a children's clothes designer, stayed home for a while with us when we were kids, and she was going back into the workplace. And I saw that she w she didn't have the same vocabulary around it, but the things that she used to have in her life were no longer in her life. And she explained to me, it's not that you can't have it all. You just can't have it all at the same time. Exactly. So don't expect that of yourself. But in the big picture, hopefully life is long and you can build on a lot of things. But I think what's really useful about the way that you talk to us as your readers about it is that there are daily choices that we can make that can help us get a grip on this. That's exactly right. And you know what? Like we were saying, there are certain phases in your life that you might naturally be prioritizing certain areas. I mean, we just talked about, you know, my 20s, graduating mm -hmm. college, and, and I was very focused on work. You know, that was a time in my life. I, I didn't have children. I, I could be really heads down all the time. Um, you know, now here I am in, an, in a new phase of my life where I have two young children, and, and you know, that's been a big focus on my time. And so I, I haven't really hung out with any friends in about 10 years so hopefully they'll you know still uh, answer my calls and when I when I come out of the tunnel at the end of this but um but you know I think we shouldn't beat ourselves up for that about about wanting to prioritize things I I know especially in my own life and I'm curious to hear about you Laura like when I look at the things that I've done that I'm most proud of none of those things happened when I was well balanced <laughs> it's true <laughs> Well, and, and tell me why you think that is. I mean, I have my own theory. I think it's when we give ourselves permission to really go for it and, and be excellent and give our all to something that that's when we really can achieve results that, that we feel proud of. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when I when I think about the times that I really went for it in my life, you know, I certainly was not having it all. I certainly wasn't balanced. But those are the things that, you know, hopefully when I live to tell my great-grandchildren about, like, those are the things I'm going to say. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I haven't necessarily achieved all that you have, but um, when I look back at major moments where I accomplished something that I either had always dreamed of or I didn't think I could do, um, other things fell by the wayside by design or not because they demanded something of me, whether it was graduate school while working full time, running a man running marathons um, or starting new tech initiatives. They both required a kind of all-in mentality, but it's also that I got so passionate about it that that's where my attention went. 
Totally. I actually have running a marathon as one of mine also, although I don't know if you can call what I did running. It's like more of like a trot, but I did, you know, start at the start line and end at the finish line. Look, and... my mantra is finishing is winning, Randy. That's right. You did it. <laughs> but I, so I really agree with that. And, you know, for some people, um, you know, prioritizing things happens in bigger blocks. You know, maybe there's a few years that you are prioritizing a few things over others. For some people, it changes every day. You know, for some people, you know, you could maybe, like for me, I have a job where I'm on the road about 100 days a year. And so I find that I have like at home Randy and on the road Randy. That's interesting. You know, my priorities are very different in each of those phases. Um, So I think all of us prioritize our lives differently. And that's beautiful. There's no correct way to to have it all. No, that's a great message. And that it has to be about what's going to work for us. But let's take, for example, two different types of intense endeavors. So and and I'll just pull them from my own life and then we'll share with yours. So when I was in graduate school, Um, I was in my early 20s. I didn't have a child. I had a boyfriend, but I didn't have a husband. I didn't own anything I had to take care of. Um, And it was a case where I dove in and it demanded it of me, so I rose to the occasion. On the other hand, when I was training for a marathon in my mid-40s, working full-time with a young daughter, um, I knew that I was choosing to do that. I knew it was going to take a lot out of me. And so beforehand, I made conscious choices about the things that were going to go to the wayside for that period of time. And kind of like you write about, tried to figure out how did I get fitness and work and family and sleep in. And it was hard. Do you find that when you bring a consciousness to it, it's easier to make it sustainable? Absolutely. I think... Pick three and really being successful at anything in life is about mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, you know, mindfulness in how you spend your time, mindfulness on, you know, what you eat and what you put into your body. Like I think when you when you look at people who are successful in any area of their life, it's because they're being really thoughtful and mindful about it. So pick three is really just a framework to help people be mindful about how you spend your time and, and to, to think about it. Because you're right, in order to make sure that you are picking work, sleep, friends, family, and fitness – you have to kind of think about your schedule ahead of time and kind of think about where you're going to fit things in. It's when we sort of just fly by the seat of our pants and wing it that, you know, that's when we, we feel like we have trouble even picking one. Oh, right. Because you it's like, A, your head's not set for it. You haven't weighed out the considerations. And you also haven't framed how long are you going to do this for? I, that's I think right. that the time limits on how you make these choices is an important part of the book. Could you talk a little bit about how you suggest we think about it on a day-to-day basis? Sure. Well, I also want to say that, you know, you're, the three things that you prioritize, it can change every single day. So, you know, just because you pick three things today doesn't mean you're stuck with those forever. Um, that's, I think, the beautiful thing. You could wake up every single morning and it's a new chance to say, all right, work, sleep, family, friends, fitness. Which three am I prioritizing today? And I am not going to feel guilty <laughs> about the two things that I don't choose. Like, I'm, I'm going to just really go for it. Um, and, and what that ends up doing is I think, you know, right now when we go to bed at night, you end up, you know, thinking about everything you didn't get to on your to-do list. But if you had fewer priorities and, you know, things that you could really go deep on, You'd end up going to bed at night, like thinking of the things you did do, the things you did accomplish. That's a really great, it would not only erase the guilt, but it would (laughs) um, increase our sense of accomplishment. Because we made a more rational to-do list. That's exactly right. Now, listen, I get it. I live in the real world. Life happens. Like sometimes, you know, you have every plan in the world and then you get that call from school that your kid is sick and Mm -hmm. you have to go pick them up or, um, you know, or like the startup that you're working with goes under. You know, there's a lot of things that that where life can happen to you um, and you don't necessarily always get to pick your three that you're doing. Sometimes, (laughs) You, it is picked for you. <laughs> yes. Um, but 
I think in general, just being mindful about the things that we do have control over with our time is uh, is really going to set all of us up for success. Um, by the way, you're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, and my guest this hour is the awe-inspiring Randy Zuckerberg. She's the host of Dot Complicated here on Business Radio and the author of Pick 3, You Can Have It All, Not Just Just Not Every Day. So, Randy, as you're talking about that, you know, it's this gift that you can be liberated from the overly ambitious to-do list on the day-to-day basis. But there's another part of it that seems important and that leads us to a different kind of sustainability with this, which is um, by rotating, you don't risk being unhealthfully lopsided because you can't exist long term not putting sleep on your list. That's exactly right. Sleep is the one that you you could probably, um, you know, try to cross it off your list for a few days tops and then it will find you (laughs) and it will win. Um, But, you know, other categories like fitness, which in my book, it's really all aspects of fitness, mental fitness, stress relief. You know, it's not just like going to Gold's Gym and pumping iron like fitness (laughs) really uh, applies to all areas of our health. Things like that are easier to to put on the wayside because we don't often see the long-term effects of what we're doing for several years. Um, you know, same with things like friends. Uh, I was joking before that I, I haven't, you know, really seen any friends in, in several years. But I do think that that's, that's a real problem for a lot of women. And a lot of women miss very valuable mentoring and networking opportunities because we are so heads down with our families and our careers. And we don't prioritize friends and networking that we miss out on a lot of things that men have naturally. That's a really interesting point. So it's not just the emotional well-being that we get by connecting with the people that we care about um, and the tactical support that we get in our lives, but it's the professional opportunities that they afford. That's right. And the, you know, the opportunity cost of not picking some of those things sometimes. So it's... um, you know, there are things like that. If you if you don't pick friends or you don't pick fitness for a while, you might not feel it immediately. But, um, you know, you, you can't go for years without picking these things. Otherwise, you're definitely going to start to see ramifications in other areas. Absolutely. And the sleep thing, I, I want to come back to it because it's so important. I used to have this terrible mantra that I'll sleep when I'm dead. And then I realized it was going to kill me if I didn't sleep. And wound up with profound exhaustion um, that changed my life while I recovered from it for a period of time. So now I actually have a rule, which is that doctor prescribed no sleep, no exercise. Mm, I love that. And you know what? You're not the only one that has that philosophy there. You know, it seems to be ingrained in you know, entrepreneurial culture and business culture, this kind of sleep when I'm dead thing. There's all of these, you know, business gurus online that are saying, you know, like just hustle harder, you know, keep keep hustling. That's the only difference between people who are successful and people who are not is like they're just, you know, working all every hour. Um and that's that's not sustainable. That's why we have such a terrible burnout culture. Mm-hmm. And uh I don't know about you, but I have never like cried in a bathroom when I was well rested. <laughs> no, it's true. And I have cried in bathrooms. <laughs> I have cried in many bathrooms in in offices. And um, but it has always been when I didn't get enough sleep and like couldn't control my emotions. It's so funny that you say that. But, you know, being able to um, be emotionally resilient to stay calm is a really crucial part of leadership and collaboration, not just parenting and being a friend or a partner. And if you're not rested, you're not going to bring your best game when it comes to that sensitive interpersonal work. Absolutely. And like, I mean, I have a three-year-old, so I see what happens when he even goes to bed 20 minutes after his bedtime. He completely melts down. It's like a, you know, like a nuclear explosion in our household. And so I see right in front of me the effects of being exhausted and what happens to a human when they're overexhausted. Like, I just see it encapsulated. And yet... I still procrastinate going to bed, even though I see exactly what happens to a person. And um, it's just, it's really interesting, um, you know, as I've done the research for the sleep chapter in my book, I almost did not include sleep as one of the the things to prioritize because I thought, well, 
you know, it's something we all have to do. Why should I, you know, spell it out as something we have to prioritize? But then I realized people, we don't prioritize no, it's it. It's <laughs> really important and we don't, which is why I'm taking time now to talk about it because I thought you did a really great job on that chapter. We know Ariana Huffington is a huge advocate and is hopefully getting people to think about our no sleep culture and shift it. But when you talk about traveling 100 days a year, how do you manage sleep in your own life? I think I've kind of just learned to just get any sleep whenever I can, anywhere I can. But it, it's it's a real struggle. And uh, in talking to various sleep researchers and experts, I mean, being on the road as much as many of us are is very detrimental to our health. And it's definitely had me reconsidering some of my, you know, my own strategies around that. Now I try to take fewer red eyes. I try to, you know, arrive in a place with a time difference, you know, a day or two ahead. Mm -hmm. It makes a big Um, difference. It makes a huge difference. I just, I can't do a red eye anymore like I could when I was 23 years old. It just like wrecks me for days. So um, you you have to really figure out what sets you up to be your best self in business. Right, because you can put concealer under your eyes, but you can't compensate for not sleeping in your cognitive processes. That's exactly right. And uh, I have definitely tried to, you know, get off a red eye and give a, a keynote to a thousand people and have regretted it <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so when you look at these huge trips and the opportunities to make an impact that are in front of you, how do you choose the things that do get your time and attention? It's hard because there's a lot of shiny things out there. I think it's very easy to get distracted. And so for me, one of the big things that I constantly remind myself that is a work in progress for me is saying no to things. Um, Because I think many of us, if you are a curious entrepreneurial person, you can be very excited easily by a lot of challenges. Um, For me, any time that I meet a female entrepreneur, um, I, I get so excited. I want to do everything that I can. And, you know, unfortunately, there's there's just limited time in the day. So for me, uh, I've really been focusing lately on how I can have the most impact with my time and, and reach the most people. And, uh, you know, it's hard to say no, especially I think I'm a bit of a people pleaser. Most people who are, you know, mm-hmm. in, in theater and, and <laughs> acting are. We like and, seeing uh, happy yes, people. <laughs> exactly. And so that's, um, you know, that's definitely something that I'm constantly working on. But, you know, the people I look up to in business seem to have learned the art of saying no and doing it gracefully. Yes. And also that there's a heuristic that drives um, one of my um, colleagues that I really admire has this tight heuristic of, is it impacting as many people as possible? Is it advancing our knowledge? Is it serving students? Awesome. I, I, I need to come up with a heuristic like that for myself. So you, you've motivated me. Um, so, you know, I love hearing that you're trying to advance um, all of these people and make this big impact. But you also mentioned before that you mentor people. How does somebody become your mentee? How do you choose a mentor? You know, I've I've even been thinking recently about how to scale that um, because uh, I feel like recently I've had so many people, especially through, you know, sites like LinkedIn that have reached out. Um, And so what I actually did recently, I took um, two or three coaches that I have worked with in my career, kind of corporate coaches, life coaches, people who I turn to for a lot of things. And I actually worked with them to sort of train them on what it would be like if all of us kind of created a mentorship platform. And we just are are rolling that out over the course of the next few months. Um, And so for me, that's been a way all of a sudden I feel like I can mentor 50 people at a time instead of just one or two. Oh, my God. I love it. So it's really – this really is about maximizing your impact and in a way puts together everything you've done. Absolutely. And uh, and I think, you know, it's it's empowering other people, too, who, you know, to to become coaches and, and lead. So. Um, so, yeah, I'll I'll keep you tuned on on what Please I learned and, and how, how that's how that's progressing. That is but, um, juicy women at work stuff, Randy. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm very excited. But yes, because for me, I just you know, there's so much that I want to do. At, but I do find that many people have the same issues and the Mm -hmm. same things they're struggling with. And so instead of just having one-on-one mentorship, um, people can really learn a lot from one another 
uh, peer yeah. mentors are really, really important. People don't often give that enough uh credibility. And, you know, I know for me, I've learned more from my peers than any kind of senior level mentor ever. So uh, I'm just, you know, I think putting people together where they can really learn a lot from people going through the same experiences will be helpful. Well, it's funny, Randy, I was going to ask you how you learn because, you know, you, you just briefly mentioned that you've had coaches, you've turned to experts to help you grow and develop. At this stage of your career and life, how do you learn new things? How do you make time for it? How do you decide what you're going to focus on? And who do you turn to? Oh, my gosh. I try to learn something new every single day. I think, you know, I, I've always pride, you know, been proud of the fact that I, I kind of go into life curious. Um, but also, I think even if I wasn't a naturally curious person, none of us can afford to stop learning because the world is changing so quickly that if you even rest for one minute to pat yourself on the back, like I know so much, you're already behind. You've fallen behind. So um, for me, you know, I try to listen to, uh, you know, at least one or two podcasts every single day. I'm, you know, I'm lucky I live in New York City, so I walk a lot. I have a lot of opportunities to, to listen to, to people. Um, uh, you know, of course, awesome Sirius XM shows. Yes, like, like Sirius yours. XM, folks, business radio. Um, exactly. And uh, and I I try to read as much as I can. I try to read things that are people, you know, with very different perspectives that I normally would not have, have picked up on my own. Um, and, you know, of course, I'm so lucky to host my own show here, Dot Complicated, on Sirius XM, where I get to hear from experts in new fields every single week. So... Uh, for me, I'm constantly learning and trying to grow. I think um, when you feel like you're, you know, at the top of your game, that's when you need a coach the most. <laughs> that's really it. <laughs> Tell me more. I um, I think a lot of people think, you know, that, you know, you need a coach or you need a mentor when you're just starting out. Um, but I mean, you look at professional athletes and they have coach, you know, they all have coaches and people who guide them. Why shouldn't people who are, you know, executives in, in companies or people who are professional public speakers or mm -hmm. radio hosts, why why shouldn't they have people who are coaching them to get better also? It's I think also, we need, yeah, we need to get past the stigma. Absolutely. It also makes me wonder something else. You know, as you were going through that list of all the different things that you learn from, the way you nourish yourself and feed your brain and feed your spirit, um, when we're young, there's so much that we need to learn in classic areas like leadership and collaboration and management that chances are pretty good that we're going to get a lot out of courses and the things that we read and listen to. And it's when we get more mature, more advanced in what we're doing, um, like the athlete who may not realize the particular place where they're weakening their own effectiveness, that's when targeted coaching is really effective. Absolutely. And I think we all, you know, we all have areas of strength and areas of improvement. And there's really there's no shame at all in talking to other people. I think especially sometimes, you know, you just have a, a business issue right now. You know, I'm starting my this venture, Sue's Tech Kitchen, um, that that travels around and introduces families to tech and uh, using the kitchen. I have never started a restaurant before. I literally know <laughs> nothing about the restaurant industry. I am so in over my head. And, um, you know, so here I am. I've done a lot in business, but I could really use coaches and expert advice from people who know about the, the restaurant and food service industry. And I don't I don't see shame in that. I think it, no. would be, it would be more shameful to make mistakes because I didn't ask that could have been prevented. Look, Randy, it's just one more way that you are a role model for <laughs> the rest of us. I can't thank you enough for making time to join us on the show today. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been a, the hour flew by. Thank you. Thank you. And if you want to check out what Randy's up to, um, go to um, ZuckerbergMedia.com at Sue's Test Kitchen. Um, and you can check her out at Doc Complicated. I'm Laura Zarrow. This has been Women at Work here on Business Radio. I'm Laura Zarrow. And you've been listening to us on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.